0: This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, how's everybody doing tonight? Blessed, excellent, excellent. Well, uh, as my, uh, as my lovely and beautiful wife, and isn't she lovely and beautiful? <laughs> as she was saying, uh, Mrs. Pastor has been out of town for the last week visiting my brother in Indiana. So, uh, a couple day, uh, last week, Julie and I took her to the airport. So, uh, that means that uh, this today, my dad and Pastor Dave got to go pick her up from the airport. So, uh, that's where they're at tonight. And then, like she was saying, then my cousin's getting married in Rhode Island like the week after. So, she's got to turn right back around and go. So, you may be seeing more of me and Julia for the next couple of weeks. Um, but, uh, uh, let me go ahead and open us up in prayer, and then we'll get into the Word, and then we'll uh we'll see where where we go. So let's bow our heads if we can. Uh, Father God, in Jesus' name, I love you, Lord God, and I'm so thankful for your your Word, your precious, holy written, written Word, Lord God, your love letter to us, Lord. Um, I just thank you, Lord, that your Word doesn't return void, Lord. It always accomplishes everything that you intend for it to accomplish, Lord. Um, so tonight, Lord, I just ask that uh, if I speak any words that are, are of my own and not of you, that they would just fall to the ground, Lord God, and instead only your words would remain, Lord God. Uh, we just ask that you'd help us all to, to throw aside any distractions that we may be uh, weighing our, our minds down, Lord God, so we can focus our hearts and our minds completely on you and receive everything you have for us tonight. We thank you and we praise you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so I want to do something uh, a little bit different tonight than uh, than a normal traditional sermon. I want to do more of a, a Bible study tonight. Um, and so what I want to do uh, is... Uh, the book of James is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. Uh, and James is very, very similar to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Um, a lot of the books in the Bible, they will... Uh, They'll devote page after page to one topic, or, or even entire books to just one topic. But the way that Proverbs are, and the way that James are, is they'll just one or two sentences to any given thought, and then they move on to the next thought. So uh, it's really cool to me that uh, he just—it's just constant, constant little pieces of wisdom. In fact, I've heard some people say that James is the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's written so similarly, just one liner after one liner. So I want to uh, take a few minutes tonight and we uh, I just want to take the first chapter, James chapter 1, and we're going to go down uh, one line at a time through James chapter 1. So if you want uh flip to James 1, you can keep it open because we're going to be there all night. Um, all right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Let's look... Um, We'll start right at the top at very verse one. We're just going to read all of these verses and then uh, discuss them a little bit. So James chapter one, verse one, it says, This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the twelve tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. So when the, when the writers of the New Testament sat down, uh, they didn't just, you know, sit down and say, you know, I feel like I'm going to just write a book of the Bible today. You know, then I can check that off. I wrote a book of the Bible. Uh, that's not actually quite how it worked. What they were doing is they were uh, would write letters to the different churches that they uh, that they knew of and, and to the different believers that were scattered, like it says, scattered around the whole world. They would just write these churches a letter. The churches would read the letter and then they'd just pass it on to the next church and they, they swapped these letters back and forth. And those letters are what came to be the majority of our New Testament. And and the cool thing is that these letters and these books, they're all inspired by God. And they all fit together. They all uh, go right together so that you know that they're directly from God. Now, uh, sometimes I've heard people get a little confused because there are other books out there that that claim to be from the Bible. But the thing is, is that they don't flow with the rest of the Bible. In fact, sometimes they actually contradict it. And so that's how we know that these other books are not true books of the Bible. Um, for example, there are other supposed Gospels out there other than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they'll, they'll tell stories such as uh, they'll talk about Jesus doing miracles when He's a little kid and stuff. But we know from John, taking the entire Bible in context since it flows together, the book of John tells us that Jesus' first miracle was when he turned water into wine. So if you see other Gospels talking about him doing all kinds of miracles and stuff when he's a little kid, that's not true because it contradicts the rest of the Bible. So that's what this uh, this first scripture is talking about a little bit, is it's just a letter, but it flows with the rest of the Bible. And uh, it's real important uh, with that thought in mind that we take everything in the Bible in context because it doesn't contradict each other. Uh Let's look at these next couple verses. And a lot of times people get confused by these verses. But you have to, when you're studying the Bible, you have to take it in context with the entire Bible. So let's look at verse two. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Uh, next verse for, you know. That when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. From when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And like I said, a lot of people get confused by this, uh, this, these couple of verses here. So I want to take just a second and let's see what these verses do not say. The first thing that these verses do not say is it does not say anywhere that God sends us trouble. And we know this also taking the entire Bible in context because John 10.10, a lot of us know that here, but John 10.10 tells us that the thief or Satan is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we can have and enjoy life. So this verse is not telling us that God sends us trouble because that would contradict the rest of the Bible. You have to take the entire Bible in context. The next thing it does not tell us it does not tell us that we should thank God for trouble. It doesn't say anywhere that we need to thank God for trouble. 1 Thessalonians 5:18 says that we should be thankful in all circumstances. It says in everything give thanks but it does not say for everything give thanks cuz you wouldn't so you need to you know make sure that you're continuing to be a thankful and a grateful person for God's blessings when you're in the middle of troubles but you're not thanking him for trouble cuz he's not the one that sent us trouble god uh we'll get a little bit more into that later but god doesn't send trouble our way the third thing that this verse does not tell us And this is one that a lot of Christians get real confused on. But this verse does not say that troubles give us faith. Romans 10.17, another verse that we all know by heart here, says that faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. So, taking the entire Bible in context, faith comes from nothing other than the Word of God. Faith doesn't come from us having trouble and problems in life, because those come from the devil. See, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So, now that we know what these passages do not say, let's take a second and see what it does say. It does say uh, that when troubles do come, that we need... Because troubles do come. I mean, how many of you know that? Yeah. It doesn't matter, uh, Christian, non-Christian, troubles come to everyone. And they do come. But the difference between Christians and non-Christians is that when troubles come our way, we need to, con- to consider it an opportunity for great joy. We don't need to be all depressed, all moping around, all upset. We need to be joyful even when we have troubling situations. And we need to be joyful because the second thing it says is that while trials don't give us faith, they do Give us an opportunity to develop our patience and to develop our endurance. And that, ver- that last verse we read there, uh, when you have patience and endurance, then you grow into a more mature, perfect Christian. You're not missing anything. You're not lacking. You're not uh, immature c- because you've taken that time to develop your patience while you were going through these tru- tr- uh, r- troubling situations. So that's why, uh, the- just don't get confused by those verses take them in context with the entirety of the Bible. Let's go on to verse 5 if we can. It says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Sometimes I think people are afraid to, to reach out and ask God for wisdom, for help. I don't know why. I don't know if they're afraid that, that of what... It's going to happen or, you know, maybe my problem's too small to bug God. But this verse tells us that you can freely ask God anytime you need wisdom, anytime you need help, because he's a generous God. He's a loving God. He's our heavenly father. And he's not going to get on you for asking. He's going to help you. In fact, uh, it says he'll give it to you generously. Don't be afraid to ask God when you have need help. Um, but let's go on and read the rest of this thought here in verse six. It says, But when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So God does want to help us and give us wisdom. But if we ask him for his help and then ignore him, then it says that we're completely unstable in everything that we do. You can't even begin to think that you're going to get anything from God if you're just wavering back and forth, not accepting the wisdom that he's given you. Uh, and I was, as I was reading this passage, I um, I remembered a video I saw on the Internet. And I, it's this uh, husband and wife talking and she's sitting there, she's talking. About how she's just had this terrible, terrible migraine headache. She feels all of this pressure in her head. And the husband's just kind of giving her a weird look. And then the camera slowly pans out. And she's got a nail sticking out of the back of her head. Like a giant spike sticking out of the back of her head. And then she looks at her husband and she's like, don't you even bring up the nail. My headache has nothing to do with this nail sticking out of the back of my head. And I think a lot of times we ask God for wisdom and we're just as crazy as this person, this lady, you know, with the nails taken out of our head. God's like, you know, if you did this, I think your headache would go away if you pulled that nail out of the back of your head. Because <laughs> it's an obvious solution. And so uh I was just trying to think of, you know, maybe uh, an example. And I thought uh a lot of times people have trouble... In fact, I asked Julie. I was like, "Julie, give me give me an example of something that people have trouble with." And she's like, "Road rage, cutting people off in traffic." And I was thinking about that. A lot of people are, are just swerving in and out of traffic, getting all mad at the other drivers, maybe because they're running late for work. And so then they'll come up to to me or or, or Julie or, or Pastor or Mrs. Pastor or something. You know, I'm I'm always having trouble getting angry at other drivers, and you know, we'll be like, "Well." Have you considered leaving a little bit earlier for work and then you wouldn't be so... No, 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 no! That's not my issue. What I need is I need the Lord to just part the cars like the Red Sea so I can not have to worry about these other drivers. And we're thinking to ourselves, well, yeah, but if you just left a few minutes earlier, then you could drive the speed limit. You wouldn't be worried about cutting off these other drivers. And your drive would be a whole lot smoother. Maybe you could, heaven forbid... Leave a few minutes earlier and use that time to pray in your car. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes God gives us wisdom and it's obvious. But if we don't take it, it says, then don't expect you're going to get anything else from God. Let's go uh, go on to the next verse. It says, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. And the way I want to look at this scripture is I remember a, a few months ago, we had a Pastor Kenny Gatlin come out uh, and, and speak to us. And what uh, he was talking about faith, but what he was talking about was, uh and he didn't use this exact example, but I was thinking it, it fits right along. Um, not all rich people, but a lot of rich people, um, they tend, they're, they're almost like a soldier whose only uh, training has been on the shooting range. They've never had a chance to get out there and actually have uh, any battle training because all they're doing is, is shooting on the shooting range. So a lot, not all, but a lot of rich people, they've got enough money to take care of a lot of their own problems so that they, uh, they just tend to trust in themselves rather than trusting in God. And so then when, uh, when troubles do come, they're really, really blown away because they uh, haven't had any actual battle training. So these type of rich Christians, it says, they need to make sure that they keep themselves humble. Um, First Peter tells us that we're supposed to humble ourselves. It doesn't say that. I, I've heard some people, you know, say, well, you know, keep yourself humble and God will, or, you know, keep yourself poor. God will keep you humble. But God doesn't keep us humble. We know once again from the entirety of the bible that first peter says that we need to humble ourselves so if you're in this situation where you know you have enough money that you're not worrying about where your next meals coming from or whatever make sure that you're still giving glory to god that you're humbling yourself and not trusting in your own riches and your own wealth and then to contradict that i'm thinking about poorer christians and we know that god It's not God's will for us to be poor, because third John chapter one, verse two, it says, Beloved, I wish above all else that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So as our soul becomes more prosperous, as we get more in the Word, then God does want to bless us. But when Christians are sometimes temporarily poor, it's a good chance to build your faith. It's a good it's like getting that actual combat experience rather than just shooting on the shooting range because you're out there you're actually having to trust God you're having to build your faith um, I remember uh, when I was growing up we were pretty poor um, but it was a great time for my parents to build their faith they uh in fact they I don't think they would be where they are necessarily today if they hadn't had to go through some of those struggles that they are not not that they can get faith from uh, from trials because we already discussed that but it did give them a chance to exercise their faith, to build it up, to get real world experience. And I'm remembering this uh, this one time where we hardly had any food at all in the house. And we weren't even sure what we were going to do for the week. And, you know, reading through the Bible, Jesus had uh, fishes and loaves, and we didn't even have fishes and loaves of bread to multiply, you know, to pray God multiply this fishes and loaves. But what we did have is Mom dug through the cupboard and she found a can of beans, And she found a pound of hamburger. And now there were eight kids in our family, so a pound of beans, or a pound of meat and a can of beans is not enough to feed eight people. But she did what she could. She she cooked us up a nice pot of chili beans. (laughs) She cooked up a big pot of chili beans, and it was not a big pot. It was just a small little pot. But... God did something miraculous uh and it's not like God took this little pot of beans and um, exploded it into a giant kettle in fact if you uh I was thinking about uh the fishes and loaves in the bible it doesn't say that you know God prayed for the fishes and loaves and then all of a sudden there was an explosion and there was hundreds of fishes i th- i think almost probably just as he was reaching into the basket every time he reached in there there'd be enough to give it to the next person enough to give it to the next person and that's what happened with this pot of chili uh, chili beans that my mom made. Every time she put a scoop in that little pot, there'd be enough to pour one more bowl. One more bowl. And this was a miracle. And we ended up eating off of this pot of chili beans until my dad's next paycheck for almost an entire week. And it was just a pound of hamburger and a can of beans. And that's it's a that's a miracle that I've seen with my own eyes. So we were able to build our faith for food, and we also uh, we were able to build our faith for receiving healing from the bubble guts from eating chili beans for an entire week. Sorry, I'm sure we were fine. <laughs> so, <clears throat> let's look down uh, if we can to verse 11. It says, "The hot sun rises." and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. And what this is really saying is that in the end, it doesn't matter how rich you are, because you can't take any of it with you when you die. We need to all, whether rich or poor, make sure that we're keeping our focus on the Kingdom of God rather than putting our focus on the things of this earth. Matthew 6.33 tells us that if we seek first the kingdom of God, if we seek His kingdom, then all these other things, all these things that everybody else is worrying about, will be added to us anyways. Because when you're putting God first, He takes care of you. Just like us with our chili beans. God takes care of you. He doesn't want any of His people to starve. Let's uh, look down at verse 12. This is the next thought that James is having as he's writing this letter. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. So this scripture is telling us that when we're able to stand up and resist temptation, that we're blessed. And honestly, God is a fair and a just God. He wouldn't have told us that He's going to bless us when we resist temptation if it was impossible for us to resist temptation. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that any time we are tempted, God gives us a way out of that temptation. He just doesn't just stick us there on our own. He gives us a way out. Every time. Let's look real quick uh, at the next verse. Verse 13. It says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. So according to this Scripture, where does temptation come from? Does it come from God? Does it come from Satan? This Scripture tells us that temptation actually comes from our own desires. Now, Satan may know some of your desires and try to use them to trip you up. But honestly, Satan tempts you with the desires that are already in your heart. You know? I, he's not going to tempt me to do something that I don't already desire to do. Um, trying to think like, you know, he's not going to tempt me to go. You know, here's one. Here's one. Sorry. Thinking on the fly. We all like to make fun of Pastor Dave because. There's something wrong with him in his head when it comes to food. And he does not like elotes. Which, honestly, is the best and most delicious way to prepare corn. It is. It's delicious. I had it for Memorial Day. So if I have... Sorry, give me one second. I'm going to tell this story. On Memorial Day, my family got together. And we uh, were going to have a little cookout. So my wife brought some corn and I brought myself... A jar of mayonnaise, some chili powder, and I couldn't find the real cheese, so we used Parmesan cheese. And right when I'm getting ready to go make up my uh, make up my elote, I notice that the mayonnaise is missing. Oh yeah, he did that too. He he he. My brother stole the corn and hid it from us, but my wife was able to convince him to give us the corn back. So. So we sit down and we're going, getting ready to eat and there's no mayonnaise to put on my corn. My brother had hidden the mayonnaise and I, ushers escort this woman from, just kidding. No, I'm like, you know what? There are things that you like that I don't like, but I don't go out and steal them from you. I don't want to steal your joy. I'm not a joy thief. I rejoice when my brothers rejoice. And so, I don't know where I'm going with that. Other than the fact that my wife uh, finally found the mayonnaise and I enjoyed the heavenly corn of elotes from Memorial Day. <laughs> where I was going with that, I just remembered, is <laughs> is it would do no good for Satan to tempt Pastor Dave to steal and eat all of my elotes because he does not desire elotes. Because <laughs> what, what good? That was, Satan would just be wasting his time to try and get Pastor Dave to do that. So Satan tempts us with the things that we already somewhere deep in our hearts desire. That's where temptation really comes from. Temptation comes from our own desires. And then verse 15. It tells us, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So it's not wrong to have temptations. The Bible tells us that even Jesus had temptations. What is wrong is if we choose to act on the temptations. You know, I was thinking about it. Sometimes I get up here and I say stupid things like my wife was saying. I make jokes about bubble guts when I'm preaching. And Julie, my wife, my beautiful, lovely wife, she may have the very, very strong desire to come up here and strangle me. And there's nothing wrong with that thought coming into her mind. In fact, probably some of you probably think I even have it coming. But what is wrong... As if she runs up here in the middle of my sermon, grabs a microphone wire, and starts strangling me in front of everybody. That would be wrong. So it's not the thought that's sinful. It's when you put the thought into action. It says eventually that leads to death. So let's look uh, at the next thought here. Verse 16. It says, So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. It says every good and perfect gift comes down from God. That goes right along earlier with what we were talking about where you know trials and troubles don't from come from God because God only gives us good and perfect gifts. And um, this Scripture, honestly, is really personal to Julie and I because... Uh, there were a couple years there where we were just playing, praying and believing God because we wanted to have children. Um and it wasn't coming quite as quickly as we wanted it to. So we decided we were going to study the Bible and see what we could find about having children. And what we saw uh was actually this scripture which doesn't right off the hand it doesn't make sense as a gift about having or a scripture about having children. But at the same time we were starting to meditate and dwell on this scripture. We noticed that Psalm 127, verse 3, tells you that children are a gift from the Lord. And so we put these two scriptures together and we realized, hey, God wants to give you gifts and he wants to only give you good and perfect gifts. So we started praying and confessing this scripture every single day. And not too long after that, we had our son, our first son, Herimaeus. And we, uh, um, His full name is Heremias Abishai Samples. That name Abishai is actually an Old Testament, uh, Greek word. He was one of King David's men. He was one of King David's right hand, uh, men, and his name means a gift. So we named our son a gift, because he is a gift. In fact, well, most of the time he's a gift. He was, (laughs) earlier today he was trying to strangle his brother. I'm just kidding. Uh, But we put that scripture, that this James um, seventeen, right above his bed. So every night when we put him to bed, we're reminded that he is our good and perfect gift from God. No matter how much he was mean to his brother in the day, he is a gift from God. And we'll work on getting him to not strangle his brother. Uh, Verse 18. It says, he chose to give birth to us, uh, he, God, chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. When I first was uh, writing this, these uh, notes down, I was trying to figure out what this scripture means. I was like, well, what does that have to do with anything? But then I realized that this verse 18 is a continuation of the previous verses. God only gives us good and perfect gifts. And this verse is telling us he sent his true word, and we know from John Chapter one that when you see, when you see the phrase Word in the New Testament, it's talking about Jesus because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the Word. So God gave us the most good and most perfect gift of His Son Jesus, the Word, and He gave us eternal life. So this scripture is talking, is just a continuation of that good and perfect gift. He gives an example of the most perfect gift that you could ever have. He gave His Son for us. So we can have new life. Verse 19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And I think a lot of people actually do this scripture in reverse. They're slow to listen, they're quick to speak, and they're quick to get angry. But this tells us that we all need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If we do the opposite, then we're never going to get the righteousness that God desires. And once again, my wife is slowly becoming an expert in this passage. Probably because she's married to me. (laughs) When you marry someone like me, you... Have to be slow to get angry because I'm always making jokes about bubble guts during sermons and stuff. Sometimes I'll say something real stupid and I can hear her muttering under her breath. Julie, you are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You are quick to listen, slow to speak. And honestly, we should all follow that example. Because when you're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, it produces that righteousness that God desires in our lives. That's what verse 9 tells us. Let's keep going. It says, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Going along with, I've been trying to keep everything tonight in context with the entirety of the Bible. This scripture reminds me a lot of Hebrews 12.1 that tells us that we need to throw aside any weights or any distractions. Anything that keeps us from following God with our entire hearts. Anything, sin, filth, that's keeping you from going after God with all your hearts. You need to throw it away. Just get completely rid of it. Anything that's hindering you. Verse 22, this is one Julie read earlier, and this is honestly probably one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. And this is one of the most important scriptures in the Bible, especially for explaining why a lot of times many Christians aren't blessed like they probably should be. You'll see people who go to church all the time, but they never seem like they have the blessing of God in their lives. And that's because it doesn't matter how much you know, how many sermons you listen to, how often you come to church, if you don't actually do something with what you know. You're better off to know just one scripture, but actually devote yourself to doing what it says, than to know half the Bible and never get around to doing it. That reminds me, for some reason, of uh, the movie Nacho Libre. There, there's one guy called El, El Skeletor. And <laughs> the, 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 the Nacho Libre is just appalled that this guy has never been baptized. And he's like, why have you never been baptized? And he's, well, I, I never got around to it, okay? So uh, it matters that we do something with what we know. This guy knew he was supposed to get baptized. He just never got around to it. Make sure we're doing something with what we know. Uh, verse 23. We're we're getting getting there. Uh, it says, if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into per, into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So this verse tells us that when we actually take the time to do the word of God. Then we're blessed. So, these Christians that come to church all the time and they're never blessed, if they take the time to do what the Word of God says, then this promises us that you will be blessed. You will get that blessing in your life. Take the time to focus on one, two, three scriptures, get them into your heart, and actually do them. Verse 27, and he's, uh, Brother James is, is switching thoughts one more time here. He says, If you claim to be righteous or religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourselves, and your religion is worthless. And it seems like he's changing thoughts, but if you look back at the few passages where he talks about doing what you know, this is saying a lot of the same thing. It doesn't matter how religious you are, or how often you come to church, if you can't even do something so simple as control your words, as control your tongue, then everything else, all your religion, your so called religion, is completely worthless. It doesn't matter. As Christians, one of the most important things we can learn to do is to control our words, to make sure we're saying the right things. We're not saying evil, hurtful things. We're not flying off the handle and cursing every time we stub our toe. And that does happen from time to time and the Lord forgives us, but make sure that you're working all the time getting better and 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 more in control of your words because that's where he's able to bless us. The last verse here says pure And genuine religion, in the sight of of God, the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So James closes out this chapter by letting us know that it doesn't matter how religious we think we are or how big and impressive our Bible is or whatever we think. What matters is that we're putting love and compassion into action and doing doing our best to live righteous lives. That's what truly matters. Uh, At this point, I'm going to ask if I can just have the praise team come back up. And uh, my prayer team, if they can come up with me as well. Um, That's the entire chapter, just one scripture at a time. And as I was reading that, um, those last few passages, something that became clear to me uh, is that it doesn't matter how religious we are, or or how many scriptures we know, if we don't have the fruit or the actions of a Christian, then we're just fooling ourselves. Jesus said, uh, this, you can tell what kind of tree a tree is by what kind of fruit it has. He said that you can also tell a Christian by looking at their actions or by their their fruits. You know, uh, we won't. We're ending here, but if they don't have the actions of a Christian, then you have to start to wonder, are they even really a Christian? So, whether we've gone to church our whole life, or maybe even someone, this is one of their first or second times in a church, you need to look at yourselves and see if you have the fruit of Christ in your life. If you don't have the actions or the fruit of a Christian, then you need to just look at yourself. The word Christian literally means... Christ-like. So if your life and your actions have not been Christ-like, then I just ask that you just turn your life over to Jesus. Let Him take complete control of your life so that you start having those actions of a Christian. If you want, you uh, I'm closing down now, but any one of us would be, if you want to just turn your life over to Jesus, any one of us up here, uh, Julie, myself, Heather, Jose, would love to pray with you so you can. Uh, but And if you need prayer for anything else, come up to us as well. Let's go ahead and stand up. We're going to sing uh, a quick song to close, but uh, hopefully you were blessed tonight by, by what was heard. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.